Welcome to The Rebound, where we'll explore the issues facing supply chain managers as our industry gets back up and running in a post-COVID world. This podcast is hosted by Abe Eskenazi, CEO of the Association for Supply Chain Management, and Bob Troublecock, Editorial Director of Supply Chain Management Review. Remember that Abe and Bob welcome your comments. Now to today's episode. Welcome to today's episode of The Rebound, what we learned from the last recession. I'm Bob Troublecock. And I'm Abe Eskenazi. Joining us today is Morgan Swink. Morgan is West Chair and Professor of Supply Chain Management at the Neely Business School of Management, Texas Christian University. He's also a frequent contributor to Supply Chain Management Review and ASCM. If you watched the movie The Perfect Storm, you might remember that George Clooney's crew faced the convergence of three storms, any one of which might have sunk their ship. As supply chain professionals, we're in the same boat as those fishermen. We're contending with a health crisis, a financial crisis, and now social upheaval. Any one of the three would be challenging enough. You put them together, and we're all wondering if we'll get safely back to shore. But at least when it comes to the financial crisis, there are lessons we can learn from how companies handled the 2008 recession and recovery. Those are what Morgan will share with us today. And with that, I'm going to let Abe get us started. Thanks, Bob. And welcome, Morgan. Thanks. So let's uh, dig into a little bit, uh, Morgan. Uh, We've got, obviously, as Bob pointed out, some significant challenges, both on the humanitarian as well as on the economic side. And there are things that we've learned, uh, obviously, from past disruptions that can be, you know, the actions that can be taken both before as well as during and then after recessions. And so from your perspective, um, the impact varies by industry as well as by the various functions and uh, each of the phases, both before, during and after. Give us some of your you know, insights into why this was important for you as a research topic. And then more importantly, what did you learn out of there? What are the high level learnings that you got? Well, thanks, Abe and Bob. And it's great to be with you today. Appreciate the opportunity to share uh, some of the research I've done. So actually, I started working on this um, early 2019 when uh, some pundits out there started to to think about when our next recession was going to happen. There was a lot of buzz around that. If you recall, it seems like a lifetime ago now, but uh, people were thinking, well, you know, we're really due for the next recession. And I had done some work uh, back in 2010 timeframe, kind of looking at what happened to some specific firms after the last recession. Uh, and started to talk with uh, ASM, uh, some folks there, and we decided to take a a much more detailed and uh, larger look at what happened to firms in different industries um, in that last recession. Again, we were thinking about, you know, helping folks prepare for the next recession. We didn't realize how timely this was going to be, given uh, what's happened in this last year. So we we decided to take a, a a large look. And so I've, I've collected financial data for uh, almost 2000 firms in five different industry sectors uh, and basically trying to uncover drivers of what, what we're calling resilience. So what is it that makes some firms more resilient to recession? And we're looking at that in two different ways. First of all, what was it about the firms going into the recession? Their 
their structure, their asset structure, some of their supply chain practices, their working capital uh, situation that maybe made them less uh, impacted by the recession uh, during that that two-year period, 2008-2009. And then what was it that they did during 2008 and 9, as reflected in their financial statements, uh, that helped them to recover faster? So some firms made a lot more progress in 2010 in recovering from the dip. I mean, everybody struggled, obviously, uh, financially through that period. Uh, everyone's profitability was hurt. Everybody's sales growth went down. But some firms were able to climb back up the curve a little faster. So we decided to look at what did they do during the recession to to make that climb a little faster. And I can go into the details, but the big picture is uh, supply chain matters. I mean, that was the big message that came out of it. There's some specific factors that have to do with asset structure, with working capital, uh, obviously with how you manage inventories and things like that, that that make a big difference. Um, One of the key things that I'll, I'll point out, just kind of a side study, we looked at companies that were highly ranked uh, in the Gartner ranking uh, supply chain uh, firms in that time period, and also uh, ASCM member firms. And so these are both kind of ways of of gauging how serious are these companies about their supply chain, how intentional are they in managing their supply chain, if they're willing to to contribute or or participate in an organization like ASCM or they're ranked by Gartner, you would think they would be leaders in that regard. And in both cases, we found that those firms did better. Uh, For example, the ASCM member firms uh, saw about a 4% above industry average sales growth. They retained their sales uh, about 4% better than their industry averages. And they were better at maintaining their market capitalization as well. They maintained about 25% more of their market cap during that recession period than their average industry competitors. So that's the big picture. Supply chain matters, and we can get into some of the details uh, a little a little more down the line here. Um, so if you think about the companies you looked at going into the recession or while managing through the recession, what did those companies do to position themselves uh, to get through it? Well, a little bit of a caveat here first. So the last recession, of course, was financially driven, and it basically created a demand shock for almost everyone, um, although difference, you know, different the staple firms that were selling uh, staple goods, uh, grocery stores, et cetera, tended to suffer a little less than those that sold uh, discretionary goods. But um, I just want to point that out. It was overall demand shock for everyone. This recession is a little different because we see demand shocks in some industries, but so, really it's more supply shocks in other industries. But having said that, the companies that we're going into the last recession. The thing that separated them was, first of all, an intense ability to manage uh, working capital. So there's a lot of different metrics. We looked at about 30 different metrics. And generally, the ones who had better control over internal processes uh, going into the recession uh, tended to do better. That is, they had uh, they actually didn't necessarily have lower cash conversion cycles. They had lower inventories and lower receivables. Interestingly, they tended to pay their suppliers faster, uh, not slower, which is what you would expect uh, to drive down cash conversion cycle. An interesting one was that the companies going into the recession who did better tended to hold more of their inventory in a 
pre-configured uh, state so that they that their percentage of inventory that was in raw material or component or work in process uh, form was higher. So they, I, I take that to mean they were better at postponement, better at responding. They didn't necessarily have lower gross margins going in, but they had better net margins. And, and from that, I, I take it to mean that they were better at managing their SG&A, their overheads, their transaction costs and things like that, uh, as opposed to the direct costs. The other big thing that came out of it, if, if you look at the, the structures of the companies and how they differed, those that were more, uh, had more of a variable cost structure going into the recession, that is, they were more labor intensive, actually, than asset intensive, uh, and had more productive employees in terms of a sales per employee metric, uh, they tended to do better uh, as well. Uh, just since you talked about metrics a couple of times, what were the key metrics that you were looking at? Right. So we looked at, as I mentioned, about 30 different uh, kinds of metrics, and I can group them in some, some key categories. So we looked at expenses. So things like uh, operating expenses, COGS as a percentage of sales, SGNA as a percentage of sale, uh, advertising expense, R&D expense, goodwill expense. And then we looked at working capital, that's uh, days of inventory, receivables, payables. And then we looked at the asset and debt profile. So things like asset employee ratios, cash as a percentage of assets, inventories, of course, um, plant property and equipment as a, as a percentage of total assets, depreciation, uh, debt to equity, and then some productivity measures, sales to assets, sales to pro, uh, plant property and equipment, and sales to employees. So those are all the, the things that we looked at to see if there were key differences that drove outcome performance differences. Then on the performance side, we looked at sales growth, we looked at profit, uh, some different profit measures, but mainly return on assets, uh, and then some market value as, uh, aspects, such as market cap. So market cap is the, the number of shares, uh, stock shares outstanding times the average price of the share. Um, and that, that's a measure of both the intangible assets or value of the company, as well as you know, the book value. It's really interesting, Morgan, on some of the activities that the organizations took, you know, prior to the recession in terms of their nimbleness and agility. And I think you're identifying a number of those uh, critical success factors. Give me a sense of what you're seeing on, you know, sort of during and after. What are they doing to recover if they've, you know, some of the activities that they've taken prior to the recession, but they find themselves and maybe they haven't taken all of the necessary steps to respond to it, what are what are you seeing in terms of some of the responses that companies are having while they're in this uh, particular recession or this pandemic? Right. So, so again, what we looked at was how did investments, um, working capital, asset structure, how did those things change during the recession, and then which of those changes seem to be significantly correlated with a faster recovery after the recession. And the, the things that popped out, um, first of all, the, the, the firms that were most resilient uh, in terms of recovering faster showed pretty dramatic differences in their ability to recover. They recovered their profitability at, a, at about 12% rate uh, greater than the laggards. They grew sales faster. They recovered their market cap faster. One really interesting thing is that these companies actually grew market share through the recession and post-recession, whereas the vast majority of other companies lost market share. So some of these 
more resilient firms were able to capitalize on that. Now, what is it that made them resilient? Well, they were among the fastest uh, in terms of cutting expenses first, uh, lowering operating expenses, specifically cost of goods sold and SG&A. Uh, so that's both direct costs and indirect costs. They were really good at lowering working capital, that is inventories and sales. Again, they did not necessarily slow down on payments to suppliers. In fact, many of them paid their suppliers even faster. So you can see they, they made the effort to, to protect perhaps some of their suppliers uh, during the recession. They were able to spin off uh, certain assets we saw in terms of the PPE to asset, that's plant property and equipment to asset ratio. Uh, they were able to shed some non-productive assets faster. Uh, they were able to lower their depreciation expenses. Uh, I'm not quite sure how to interpret that, but they perhaps some of the assets that they divested or, or shed were things that they had a lot of depreciation expense on. They were able to increase productivity dramatically. This is probably the biggest. If you look at the, the absolute differences in the numbers, the sales to assets number, the sales to PPE number, the sales employee uh, number, uh, they were able to really drive those, those metrics up uh, substantially more, whereas almost all the others uh, saw decreases in those productivity metrics. So I was interested, you talked a little bit about the laggards you know, versus the leaders, meaning that um, people who kind of led the way on this, were able to take uh, market share uh, from the laggards. I wondered two things around that. One is since you looked at different industries, was there you know, an industry that stood out in terms of being more resilient and recovering? And if so, do you think, you know, do you have a sense of why? But within industries, was that sort of leader laggard phenomenon consistent? Meaning, you know, regardless of the industry, the leaders tended to take market share over the laggards. The short answer is it was pretty consistent. Uh, these key differences were fairly consistent across leaders and laggards. The two things I would point out is I, I talked about working capital and then kind of fixed assets. Right. And the fixed asset issue was more of a concern in the manufacturing industries, uh, whereas working capital was a stronger driver in retail. Um, so I, I, the, the five sectors that we looked at uh, were oil and mining, uh, the kind of extraction industries, manufacturing, communications, uh, retail trade, and then services. And really the differences popped out between manufacturing and retail trade. Um, and it makes a lot of sense. Uh, manufacturing is where you're going to have more of the asset intensive you know, PPE kinds of, of drivers. And so that's uh, where that variable cost structure really seemed to matter a lot more there. Whereas in the retail trade, it's really just all about managing all that inventory and working capital and positioning it uh, correctly. Morgan, let me move on to something that you brought up before, and that is the organizations that had the variable cost structure, specifically more labor, more labor seemed to outperform those that were more capital intensive. Okay, I'm a supply chain manager. And I'm taking a look at the, you know, the data that you're providing me and I'm looking at a recession just, you know, looming. And not only if it's not already here, I'm anticipating it. What do I do on the labor side? What do I do on my, you know, talent development side, given that, you know, we're clearly headed into a, you know, a very difficult time period here. Give me some of the things that I can do and, you know, not only for my team, but for the organization that can help us respond much quicker to this disruption. Right. Well, 
you can actually look at this two ways, right? It's, it's, it's a complex situation. It's a, it's a, a crisis of sorts, but it's also a great opportunity to realign the organization, to realign talent, um, to move talent around, to try to use the transition time to put people uh, in the best place where they can make the greatest contributions. And then um, while you know we're worried about expenses at this point, uh, it's actually a great time to think about training and development. And in terms of repositioning or, or positioning the firm to be resilient in the next situation, whatever that might be, once we get through this one, uh, I think there's a lot of merit to trying to develop a learning organization. So one of the things we see, again, through the data, although it's kind of indirect, but what we see is companies are able to, to manage change quickly, to learn quickly, uh, are the ones who are going to fare better uh, in these very dynamic situations. And so where does that change management come from? Well, it comes from employees who have more generalized skills, who are able to shift from one thing to another. I actually have another study that looks at how companies learn from small disruptions and how they're able to take that learning and apply it to these large disruptions. Now, that's not in this financial data that we're looking at, but there is evidence there that shows that companies that, that intentionally take small disruptions as learning opportunities and use that to train employees in different uh, response modes, protocols, uh, whatever you want to call it, you know, tend to do better when these large disruptions, these large economically driven uh, disruptions occur. So it's really a great time to, to think about talent strategically and to try to make changes both at the organizational level and how work is done. Obviously, remote work is something that people are thinking a lot about now. But more largely, think about how you can use talent as a way to, to move the ship, if necessary, during major times of change like this. Really helpful. Thanks, Morgan. Uh, thank you, Morgan. And that's all the time we have today. Uh, thanks for joining us. And we hope you'll be back for our next episode, when we'll be joined by Melina Yankovic, a research scientist at the Mega City Logistics Lab at MIT Center for Transportation and Logistics. Now, Melina is going to discuss new approaches and models for supply chain design, as well as the new digital tools that will enable them. We look forward to seeing you then. I'm Bob Troublecock. And I'm Abe Ashkenazi. All the best to everybody. Stay safe and healthy. The Rebound is a joint production of the Association for Supply Chain Management and Supply Chain Management Review. For more information, be sure to visit ASCM.org and STMR.com. We hope you'll join us again.